for that wonderful song. What a reminder it is to us all to trust in him, amen? And uh, we are thankful that you and your families are here. Thank you for being here and uh, for sharing your gifts with us, and uh, we appreciate that so much. Are you glad you came to church today? Amen. Amen. I'm glad you're here too. And it's, uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be this morning. As you're turning there and getting your outlines ready, I want to share a story. I think it's interesting for us, especially in a small community like Pittsfield, uh, where we have a newspaper, but the newspaper is once a week. And so if you make the newspaper in Pittsfield, it's a big deal, amen? Because if you don't, then, or if you do, it's in there for the whole week, and it never changes until the next week. That's amazing, especially in a 24-hour news cycle that we live in. Pittsfield is still on a weekly news cycle, and we, are, we can, we can thank, uh, thank our times for that, and it's good, but I heard a story about somebody that put an ad in the newspaper. It was a, a married woman that put an ad in the newspaper, and it read this, and thankfully it was not our newspaper, but a different newspaper. And this is what it said, husband for sale, cheap, complete with hunting and fishing equipment, one pair of jeans, Two shirts, a boat, a black lab, and 50 pounds of venison. Pretty good guy, but not home much between October and December. Will consider a trade. None of you ladies have ever submitted that to the paper, I hope. This, uh, it was Lydia, it was Lydia, yeah, it was Lydia. Chris is back in the window. Is it my wife? <laughs> the lady got over five dozen phone calls on this ad. But none of them were interested in her husband. Many of the calls, they came from widows telling her and reminding her to thank, be thankful for all that she had. To be reminded of how much her husband meant to her and to be encouraging of their relationship, to think of the positive things. Some of the other calls came from, from single mothers and, or divorced women that were reminding her of some of those same things. They reminded her how tough it was to raise kids alone and in general told her to count her blessings and be thankful. The lady was very convicted of, of this ad that she wrote and uh, she, she wrote a retraction the next time in the newspaper. This is what her next ad said retraction of husband for sale everybody wants the dog <laughs> count your blessings amen and uh, if you mess up just be reminded that there's always next time count your blessings did you know that the bible teaches us god's word teaches us that an ungrateful heart is fertile soil for futile thinking and foolish living. I'm so thankful that, that God's word gives us so much truth. There's truth that helps us to live day to day, but there's also warnings in God's word that we need to be mindful of. And here's one of them when it comes to being ungrateful. Romans 1.21 says this, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like 
And the result was that their minds became dark and confused. Don't you think it's, it's amazing how the human mind works that when we begin to think of something as being truthful or we get our own ideas or, or connotations in our minds that something is the way it is, our perception of something becomes our reality. And even if it's not true, our thoughts and our dwelling on those thoughts may become so ingrained in our life that we make things that are not true true we become ungrateful for things we become we begin to take things for granted because we let our minds twist things in the way that we want to believe them or perceive them we must be very careful the bible says because the result of this kind of thinking is that our minds will become dark and confused dark and confused the Bible also mentions a couple of different words or phrases so many different times. I love to, to find these word studies in scriptures. So I looked it up this, this week. The word thankful. Sometimes I wonder if, if, if those words that we use in the English language are, are translated over into scripture. The word thankful, the actual word thankful is used in scripture 10 different times in the Bible. I thought that's pretty good. I thought it would be more. But it, 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 not the word thankful as, as that word. But the phrase give thanks, give thanks is used 46 times in scripture. 46 different times. Some of these times in scripture are, are, are people praising and giving thanks to, the, to God for what he's doing. But there's many times, just like we read in Romans, where it's, it's a warning of what happens to us if we fail to give thanks. If you're taking notes, and you have your outline there, I want you to jot down a few things. Here's what the Bible teaches us on some ways that, that we can avoid ungratefulness. Some ways that we can avoid ungratefulness. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. That, that's not just your pastor coming up with a cool phrase. That is straight from God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. The Bible also teaches for us to avoid ungratefulness. We are to rejoice in the Lord at all times. Again, from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord at all times. We are to bless the Lord and exalt his name forever. Psalm 34, 3. So there's, there's many different ways in Scripture that it teaches us to avoid ungratefulness. I don't know about you, but there's times in my own life where it's easy for us to kind of move on very quickly when things happen to us that we should be thankful for, but we kind of just dismiss it and move on. Or at least I've done that. I can't speak for all of you. But maybe you've been in that, in that place before as well, where we've failed to give God thanks for who he is and what he's doing in our life. We're going to look at a, at a text this morning from Luke chapter 17. I want you to follow along. It'll be on the screen for you. Luke 17. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 11. Listen to this passage as I read this story from Luke chapter 17. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. They were crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen? I want us to look at a few things about these men that I think we can learn in our own lives and help us to apply it, especially this season of thankfulness. And today I want us to see how we could become unusually thankful. So first I want us to look at the 10 men as a whole. Let's look at the 10 unclean men as a whole. And as we look at these men, I want us to see a few things about these 10, this group of men as a whole. The first thing I want us to see from the whole group is that these men were in a hopeless situation. They were in a hopeless situation. You see, they had a disease, the disease that was so strong, that was so, that was so powerful that they were literally shunned from their communities. And they were pushed out into this, into this barren place out on the edges of their towns because they had to stay away from people because there was no known cure for leprosy. Once you had this skin disease, this condition, you in fact, if you were around people, you had to announce you were coming. And the way you had to announce you were coming is you had to come up to these people and you basically had to shout and get their attention, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean because they didn't want you to pass on your uncleanliness. Don't you think that would be kind of an odd way for us to greet one another now? Can you imagine if we were not walking with the Lord and we were required because we, had, we all had an understanding that if, if I'm living for self and I'm unclean and I have this disease called sin in my life that every time I came up to somebody I'd say, excuse me, excuse me, before we go any further, I'm unclean. I think some of us would kind of just, okay. I know, I know when my kids have been out playing and they're dirty and they stink, I wish they'd come up to me before they came up and gave me a big hug and said, Dad, I'm gonna hug you in just a minute, but I reek. <laughs> they probably don't do that because I would probably tell them to go shower first before they hugged me, but instead they wrapped arms around me and they give me a big hug and and I've got one child in particular right now that he, he I just gave it away um, this child does not understand the importance of cleanliness yet he doesn't realize that cleanliness is next to godliness and if if he would it would so he'll come up and give me this big hug and I love him for it so much because he's he's just he's a lover and and I love it and he'd come up and he'd give me a big hug and I'll say, buddy, I love you so much. Will you please go shower? <laughs> and he does. But can you imagine if we had to greet each other that way? I think we would probably turn a lot of people off. It w- we have a goal here at Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene that we, are, that we want to connect and engage with real people for real relationships. Well, the, the reality today of that is that all of us stink at times. 
all of us find ourselves in a hopeless situation at times. The, te- the text tells us that these 10 men were standing at a distance because of their disease. They were sent away. They were literal outcasts of their community. They were outcasts socially. They were outcasts physically. They were outcasts in every way possible. They had no hope. They had no help. But these men, they had heard through a series of people walking around in their areas, they had heard about this man, Jesus. This man from Nazareth that was healing people. This man that that was doing some things that were so outrageous that they couldn't even fathom fathom them, but they they knew this guy was going to be coming around their area. You see, if they believed everything that they heard, they believed that this man could heal them. Maybe this was our chance to get out of a hopeless situation. And it would change their perspective. And they went from having no hope to finding hope in the Savior. So that's another thing we need to see from these men. That these men found hope in the Savior. Their perspective from no hope, they began to see and hear that Jesus was coming and they felt like all the stories that they heard is that when this man spoke, there was power. When this man spoke, there was hope that was given. And in just some stories that they heard, there would be somebody that was blind and this man would would speak to them and he would touch them and, and blind people could see again. He would would see people that were lame and couldn't walk and that had deformities and he would touch them and he would speak to them and the lame could walk. He would see even dead people who were buried in a tomb and when this man spoke to them, they came to life again. This man gave them hope. They believed that because this man had done all of these things before, that this man, Jesus, could change their life as well. They went from being in a hopeless situation to having hope in a Savior. You see, they began to cry out for Jesus. As he's coming, they are some distance away, and they see that he's coming, and they can see that it's Jesus most likely, my guess would be, because he's got his entourage that we've talked about before. Jesus was, was a pretty popular guy. In fact, I have a saying that I use sometimes when I'm joking around with friends and uh, my, my kids will ask me sometimes, well, Dad, how did that person know you? And I'll say to them, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. And uh, they, people know me, you know, I'm kind of important. And uh, I say that for my own ego sometimes when, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal, Chad, and you know that. And, uh, but Jesus is a much bigger deal. And Jesus was kind of a big deal. And Jesus is walking and he's got his entourage with him. And these men see him coming and they say, this man is coming and they start to call out to him, Jesus, Jesus, Master. They start to call out to him because they want to get his attention. And they say to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. If you notice, they did not announce that they were unclean. They did not give the formal greeting of a person with leprosy. Instead, they called Jesus by name and they called him Master. 
Jesus, Master. Some things that are interesting about their response to Jesus that I found this week. This is the only gospel, Luke's gospel, where the term master is used to describe Jesus. The other, the other gospel writers, they use the word rabbi or teacher in, in, this, in this sense, but master is used in Luke's gospel, and it's because Luke looks at Jesus as somebody who has something to offer that we can't have for ourselves, or we can't do for ourselves. You see, master is someone that has something over you. Master is somebody who, in, in, all, in all of our thinking, a master is somebody who is probably better than us in many areas. They've mastered something. They, they've accomplished something. They have more to offer than we may have. And see, Luke uses this term because he's trying to convey to us, the reader, that these men realize that Jesus has something for them that they can't get for themselves. Jesus is their master, and they haven't even met the man. You see, another thing I've noticed from their, their response to Jesus is these men never asked to be healed. These men did not cry out, Jesus, Jesus, please heal us so we can go to town and go back to our families, so we can get our job back and our livelihood back. Will you take this disease away? We know you can do it so that we can have our life back. They never once said that. Instead, they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Their situation is so hopeless. They're at the bottom of the barrel. They need some help. They need somebody who can change their situation. And these men get Jesus' attention. He gives them something to do, though. As he, as he hears them calling out to him, Jesus knows where he's at. And I think we read this text and we kind of we skim over the, the location of what, where they're at in this, in this text. But it says Jesus is continuing towards Jerusalem. He's reached a border between Galilee and Samaria. Something you need to know about this is that the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And if you've been reading the Bible for any length of time, you, you understand that. The Samaritans and the Jews were, were kind of like social rivals and enemies. They didn't even talk to one another. But this disease was so, so extreme that when the, the Jewish people in Galilee would send their lepers out to the border of their town, it happened to bump up against the border of Samaria. And so when the Samaritans would send their lepers out to the edge of their town and their border, these two groups of people would begin to unite. So you would have Samaritans with leprosy coming together with Jews with leprosy. And it would cause these two bitter rivals to come together. Why? Because they had something in common. And they began to talk to one another. They began to build relationship with one another. Sick person, living with sick person. And now two bitter enemies are now going to the man who can fix them together. They're going together. Samaritans and Jews are going together and they, they address Jesus. And so there's, there's a social conflict that's happening here that I think sometimes we don't really see and understand. And Jesus is a Jewish man. He's going to Jerusalem and he's confronted by Samaritans and Jews with this disease and he tells them to do something. He tells them 
to go and see the priest. The reason he tells him to do that is because according to the law in this area, the only person that could determine if somebody was clean or unclean was the priest. So Jesus knows what's happening, he knows where he's at, and he tells these people, you just need to go to the priest. Let the priest determine if you're clean or unclean. Let him be the judge. Let him inspect you. Let him see that you are clean if you are clean. He tells them to go away. Many people, when we read this passage of scripture, many of the commentators think that a lot of us would read that and think that Jesus is just dismissing them. He doesn't want to deal with them, so he tells them to go away. And in fact, that's not at all what Jesus is doing. Jesus already knows what their need is. And according to this law, he knows that according to the law, they must go to the priest and follow the ritual, follow the law for inspection. So Jesus knows what he needs, and he meets their need, but the, the order that he gives triggers a response from these men. You see, Jesus could have said to these 10 men, I know you're unclean, go to the priest, he'll determine for you. And these 10 men could have just said, he didn't help us at all. And they could have just went about their way, went back to their little huts. But instead, he gives them an order and it triggers them to respond. And how they respond determines if their need will be met. And you see, Jesus knows what their need was. And in verse 14, he says to go show themselves to the priest. Their faith in Jesus required some action. It's not enough for us to believe that Jesus will heal us. It wasn't enough for these lepers to realize that I believe he can do it, so I'm just gonna be healed because I believe in it. But Jesus' response to them forces them to make a decision. Do You see, true faith calls for necessary obedience. That's why I've, I've shared with you for, for many, many, many weeks, many months, couple of years now, that I believe faith isn't just believing in something. The Bible says even the demons believe. But we have to put our faith into action. We have to trust in something. We've got to do something with our faith. So Jesus gives them an order and it forces them to obey. And so the Bible tells us that these men went to the priest. They had to go to the priest. They had to let the priests make the judgment men, the judgment on them, and these men had time on their journey to the priest to realize what was taking place in their life. You see, they're walking along the same road that Jesus is to go to the priest. They're going into town where they shouldn't even be to go and find out if they're clean. And because they obeyed and because they begin to go, the Bible says that one man noticed that he was immediately cleaned. So that means that when they obeyed and began to go to the priest, then the healing took place. Jesus knew their need. He gave them an order. And if they obeyed the order, their need was met. Wouldn't it be awesome if our needs and our prayers were met just that quickly? I think that would be so cool if, if we had this opportunity, if Jesus said, if you really believe in me, if you really trust me, then do this, and as soon as we did it, we'd get our result. Now, I know there's times that that happens. 
that God blesses and he, he heals and his power is released immediately. But the Bible tells us that as soon as they obeyed, their bodies were clean. So these 10 men, these 10 unclean men are all in the same boat. They were in a hopeless situation and now they find hope in Jesus. The next group of people that I, I need us to see today is that we need to see what the nine unthankful men are all about. The nine unthankful men. All 10 men were healed, but only one returned to give thanks. Christ's first statement to him is, where are the other nine? Have you ever met somebody for the first time, and, as, and maybe, this, maybe this happened to you today at church. You came in the doors, and somebody's shaking your hand, but as they're shaking their hand, they're just looking around to see who else is around. Have you ever met anybody like that? They're shaking your hand, they're just kind of looking over your shoulder. Yeah, it's good to meet you. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, yeah. I kind of get that sense that Jesus is, this, this one man is coming back to him, and he's probably just overwhelmed with this man, and he's kind of just looking over him. Where are the other guys? Didn't I heal all of you? And there's only one that comes back. And you see, I think it's important for us to realize today that God recognizes an ungrateful heart. He's not looking over the man because he doesn't care about the man. He's looking because he recognizes the ungratefulness of the nine unthankful men. God recognizes an ungrateful heart. I wonder how many times God has been left all alone in our lives and in our relationship with him and he's just simply waiting for a simple thank you. Where did the other nine go? What did they do? Why didn't they return to give thanks? Jesus had healed them as well. Why didn't they show their thankful hearts? Well, there's, there's some things about the nine unthankful men that we need to see. We need to see that in the nine unthankful men, there was still the providence of God. The providence of God was still on them. It was the providence and the sovereignty of God that caused Jesus to pass through their town that day. You see, it's no accident when Jesus passes through your life. It's no accident when he encounters you for the first time. It's no accident when Jesus gets a hold of your heart and you realize your need for him. It's no accident. My, uh, my grandfather was a, was a pastor's kid. He grew up in the church, and as he got older, he rebelled against everything religious, everything church, everything God. He, he, he despised the church. I remember going home or going back to Grandma and Grandpa's for Christmas and Thanksgiving and all the holidays, and, and Grandma was a Christian, and we were all Christians, but we would sit down at the table with Grandpa, and, and he, would, he would tolerate us because he knew he was outnumbered, uh, and so we'd pray for our meal and we would, we would go about our life as normal and we would treat him with love and, and respect and everything else that a good Christian should do, but he would have nothing to do with our faith. There were many times in, in our times with Grandpa that we would invite him to church and we're going to church, Grandpa, would you come with us? And no, no, he was always very kind about it and very, very coy about just, he made sure he was mowing the lawn on Sunday mornings is kind of what he would do to make sure that we, he wouldn't have to go with us. Well, you see, there was, there was a time in, in my dad's life 
where my dad was asked to go back to his home church to preach revival. And he went back to Superior, Nebraska in this little town and, and, and he was staying with his mom and dad and my grandpa. And as he was staying there the week of these special meetings and these special services, every single day my dad would ask his dad, his stepdad, hey Jim, why don't you come to church with us tonight? Why don't you come to church with us and just kind of just come because, because I'm here and because you want to see your son. And He'd say, no, Rod, I'm not going to come. Finally, it was Sunday morning. They, they were ending the services, and my dad was at the church during the Sunday school hour, and he was, he was praying and thinking, and he just felt the Holy Spirit press upon him, go ask Jim one more time to come to church. So he left Sunday school, and he went home, and he found his dad in the yard mowing the grass. And he stopped him and he said, Jim, I want you to know I love you. And I want you to know that if you don't change your life, you're going to go to hell. And you need Jesus in your life. And my grandpa looked at my dad and he said, I don't want anything to do with your God. Don't ever ask me again. And he went on doing his stuff. Can you imagine trying to preach after that? So my dad went about his, went back to church and, and did his thing. A few years later, my grandpa had to be moved to Hastings, Nebraska to live in an assisted living home. And as my grandpa was there, the pastor of the Nazarene Church in Hastings, Nebraska, his name was Dave Spiker. Many of you may know a little bit about our family history. One of our best friends is Andrew and Jill Spiker. And we've been friends with them for a long time. Well, Andrew's dad is Dave, and he's a pastor in Nebraska at the time. He was in Hastings, Nebraska. And he got wind that, that Grandpa Jim had moved to Hastings, and so he started to visit with Grandpa Jim. He'd go to the nursing home, and he would talk to Jim, and he'd talk about fishing and talking about all the things that, that Jim loved to do. And, and he never, never had an opportunity, really, to, to pray with Grandpa. But he'd always show Jesus to him. And there was one day that my grandma was visiting with grandpa all day and, and Pastor Dave had been there during the day and he visited with him and prayed with him before he left and the things that you do on a pastoral call. And, and grandma was tired and so she went back home and about 10 minutes later she gets a phone call and it's Grandpa Jim. He says, Barb, call that preacher back. I need to talk to him. I need you to get down here right now. You gotta understand, my grandpa was a pretty stern, gruff guy. My grandma was like, Jim, I'm tired. Been up there all day. I don't wanna come back. He says, call the preacher and get down here. I wanna meet Jesus. So grandma got in her car. She called Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave met him at the nursing home. My grandpa Jim accepted Jesus into his life, his heart and life. My grandpa Jim's first call was to my dad. He said, Rod, I want you to know that I'm sorry for what I said to you back then. It wasn't me. It was the enemy working in me. But I want you to know I've given my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I wanted you to be the first to know you see, it's no accident when Jesus passes through your life. 
It's no accident when he gets your attention and you understand and you see your need for him. These nine unthankful men had the providence of God that day. But they also had the love of God. You see, Jesus was a busy man. He was going down to Jerusalem for the Passover feast as he normally did. There was a lot going on. And Jesus was a busy man. And many of us would think he's so busy. He's got so many people to see, so many things to do. He doesn't have time for us. But you've got to understand something about Jesus. Jesus was always prepared to do the work of his father. Jesus was always prepared to invest in relationships with his father's people. See, we need to be thankful for the love and the compassion of God. Because there's times in our life, and you may be here this morning, where you feel unworthy of God's love. You may feel unworthy of God's love just like these, these sick, unclean men did. And I want you to know something this morning. When you feel unworthy of God's love, you are unworthy of God's love. You may be here this morning and you may say to yourself, you know what, I don't deserve God to in, in, intersect my life. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his compassion. And I'll tell you this, you don't deserve it. But you may be here this morning and you might be saying, you know what, I don't, I don't, I'm unworthy of it. I don't deserve it. And really, God just doesn't even care about me. And I want you to know this morning, if that's you, you're absolutely wrong. Because God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to come and intersect your life. He sent his son Jesus to come and to live a perfect life to be the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. The love of God was so real on these men. You see, we can experience the love of God. God loves you so much that he died for you. We need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. These men saw the provision of God, they saw the love of God, and they experienced the power of God. It was the power of God that enabled Jesus to heal these men. Jesus was able to, to heal these men of their sickness, of their disease, and he was able to give them from an impossible situation to a situation of hope and of life. It was the power of God that helped Jesus to do this work. And I want you to know something this morning in our own life. It's the power of God in our own life that allows us to do anything. Let me say that again. It's the power of God in our life that allows us to do anything, okay? Even the smallest things that we think, you know what, I can just handle that on my own. If you can handle that on your own, it's because God created you. And he gave you the ability. He gave you the strength. He gave you the opportunity to be able to handle it with your strengths and gifts that he's given you. You see, we can't do anything without the power of God. Even as a Christian, one of the things that I, I, I struggle with, sometimes I struggle with routine, even though I like routine. I don't know about you, but there's times when I don't feel like reading my Bible. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I hope there's some more that are like me. That I just, there's some days that the enemy's getting me, I'm just like, man, God, I don't really feel like reading your word today. It's the power of God that helps me to crack the cover. Amen? You know, there's, there's times in my life where when, when I get asked to pray for a lot of people and, and we pray for a lot of people and I love to pray for people. In fact, I love it so much that I'm now forcing my staff to pray for people. <laughs> We're meeting on a weekly basis as a staff to pray together. But there's times when I just don't feel like talking to God. Where I don't feel like just pouring my heart out to him. 
but it's the power of God in my life that allows me to pray. It's the power of God in your life that allows you to do some of those things that sometimes you may not even feel like doing. You see, it was the power of God that healed these men. You see, but in our text, we see nine ungrateful men who never showed up to give God thanks. Sometimes I wonder if we're too often content to enjoy the gift and we forget the giver. I wonder if too often we're quick to pray when the, when the pressure's on, but we're slow to praise. God, help us to be a church that's not like these nine ungrateful men. Help us to be people who pray like crazy when it matters, but we also praise like crazy when he comes through for us. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be people with an attitude of gratitude. Help us to not be like these nine unthankful men because it is the power of God that can heal you and me. Amen? Ten unclean men. Nine unthankful men. And finally, we need to see what this one unusual man can teach us today. The process of the cleansing process with the priest is they would go to the priest and the priest would, would check them out and then the priest would literally say to them, I want you to go and I want you to, to wash everything. I want you to make sure you're clean physically. All your stuff is clean. I want you to come back and we'll check you out again. It was ba- basically, if you study the process, was about a week-long process of cleansing. And during this week, I don't know about you, but if I was given something to do on Sunday and I was told to come back the next Sunday, it would give me time to forget what happened. It would give me time to worry so much about I got to do this and this and this and this that I lose track of the fact that right back there, I encountered somebody that changed my life forever. And see, they're going through the process because that's what Jesus told them to do. He said, go to the priest. Go to the priest for inspection. Go to the priest to see if you are clean. But see, the healing happened right away. As soon as they left, as soon as they obeyed, they were healed. Jesus healed all ten of them. But there was only one man who noticed it right away. And he went right away to give God praise. I don't know how far along they were in their journey. I would assume that it was quite a bit of a distance because as they're walking together, the 10 of them, Jesus most likely might be going the other way on the same road. He looks down, he sees that his skin is clean. He looks at his, his friends and he sees that they're clean. And he, I would imagine, this is just probably what I would do if my whole life was changed, that he probably just screamed at the top of his lungs and was like, Oh, I woke some of you up. And as he screamed, he sees what he's done. He's like, thank you, Jesus. And he bees lines for him. And the whole way he's screaming and he's thanking God and he's giving him praise that I can only imagine that there were people along the route that probably saw what was going on. His thankfulness was unusual. His thankfulness I hope, was contagious. And as he's running to catch Jesus, he finds Jesus, and he just, the Bible says he falls down on the ground, and he's shouting thanks and praise to Jesus. 
And he, he's on the ground and he's thanking Jesus for what he's done. He's, he's clean because he did what Jesus asked him to do. He went and he left to go to the priest. My understanding of this text, and I don't know it from, from Scripture, but just from my, my understanding of reading this and studying it, is that I don't believe this man even made it to the priest before he realized what had happened. I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess, is that he didn't even make it to the priest before he realized that he'd been healed. And he went back praising and thanking Jesus for what he'd done, and he fell on his face, and he was screaming and shouting, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done. And just like God, through Jesus, when he came and saw this man praising him and thanking him, he's looking and he noticed an ungrateful heart, Jesus also notices a thankful heart. And as the man is laying there on the ground, praising God and thanking him, and he's at his feet, I can just imagine as a little kid, he's probably wrapped around one of his legs, or, or he's probably holding on for dear life because he's so excited for what Jesus has done, he doesn't want to let him out of his sight out of his grasp because he's changed his life and Jesus says something to him that's very important Jesus said to him stand up and go your faith has made you well your faith has made you well you see we see this passage of scripture we've read it many times but what you really need to know the literal translation of this is made you well is the same word we see in the New Testament when Jesus is saving somebody from their sins. So not only did this man get a physical healing, Jesus stands him up and he says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. You believed and you trusted. And because your faith caused you to trust, you now are clean physically and I'm washing your sins completely away, and you are clean spiritually. Your faith has saved you. Did you know that when we go to the Lord the same way, and we allow our faith to be put into action, and we say it with our life and with our heart, Jesus, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed, and I'm gonna trust you with the rest of my life to live for you, I believe Jesus looks each one of us in the face and says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. You see, by coming to Jesus, this man received more than just a physical healing. He received eternal life. Which reminds me once again, it always makes a difference when Jesus passes by. It always makes a difference when Jesus passes by. You know, we can see the group of men as a whole. Ten unclean, healed men. But we can also look and we can learn from the nine unthankful men and think that God's provision provided for them, his love is the same for them, but he calls us to do something as well. And my prayer and my hope today is that we can see something from that one unusual man and begin to live with unusual thankfulness in our own life for what God is doing. As we close today, I want us to be reminded to have an attitude of thanksgiving. You see, an attitude of thanksgiving not only pleases God, it also opens the way for more of God's blessing in our life. You see, 
God's blessings will always follow our obedience. And as we are obedient to Him and we put our trust in Him and our faith in Him, we need to express our thankfulness for the blessings that He provides to us. We need to be a thankful people to have an attitude of thanksgiving for the blessings in our life. So I want to ask you a question. Are you giving God thanks already? Are you giving God thanks for those daily reminders of his provision and his love in your life? Are you giving him thanks for the miraculous? Are you giving him thanks for every single blessing you have? I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. I want us to close with a, an act of response, if you will. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't, want to, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I want us to just practice this before we leave today. I want us to practice this. So if you have ever had a moment in your life where you have had a need that you couldn't meet on your own, would you just raise your hand? Leave it up. Leave your hand up. You've had a need in your life that you couldn't meet on your own. Now, if you've got one hand raised, I just want to—I just want to thank God today for each person as you look around that we can't do it on our own. Now, keep your hand raised. If you've ever had a need that you couldn't meet on your own met by something other than you can ever imagine, maybe you're not ready to give God credit today, but you didn't meet the need, but something else came in and intervened and met the need, would you just raise your other hand? Would you just look around? (laughs) This is the international sign for surrender. Says, God, I can't do it on my own. But this is also the international sign of praise and thanksgiving. You're thanking God right now for what he's done in your life. Would you keep your hands raised as we close in prayer? God, thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for passing by our life. Thank you for saving us and making us well. And God, my prayer is that as we leave this place, whether it's literal or figurative that we leave with hands lifted high because we're surrendering our lives daily to you, trusting you to help us. And God, we're also raising our hands in thanksgiving and praise because we love you, because we're in a relationship with you. Help us, God, to have unusual thankfulness this season. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen and amen. Have a great day today. We'll see you tonight at 6.30.